1: Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. We're glad you're tuning in and listening. This show is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. We have a two-week detox followed with two years of recovery coach and aftercare. The detox portion of Matthews Hope Detox and Recovery Program is located inside St. Joseph's Hospital in beautiful downtown Houston, followed with two years of recovery coaching and free aftercare included with our detox if you or a loved one Need any information about our detox? You can visit our website, which is www.mhdrp.org, or give us a call at 844 263 4673. Also, it's just me today. Um, my bearded philosopher, Donnie, is not here. He happens to be at a giant nerd convention in Las Vegas. So he's enjoying that. Um, (laughs) If you are listening to us on Sundays at 1 on KPRC, we thank you. If you are not local in Houston, you can go to the iHeart app and you can listen to us Sundays at 1 through the KPRC channel on iHeart. Or you can follow the Relevant Recovery Radio channel on iHeart and listen to any of our past episodes. You can find us there. Um, Donnie normally plugs that, so I'm like, "Oh, what do I even say?" Uh, I have a cool guest in studio with me today. Welcome to the show, Jamie Loth. Hello, hi, glad to have you. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to have Jamie on because uh, this show, Relevant Recovery Radio, we want to talk about things very relevant to real recovery and and include real life stories of people in recovery. And so, as of yesterday, Jamie has 10 years sober. I do. Congrats, dude. That's Thank a decade. You. Pretty wild. (laughs) Um, Which is cool because you're like 12 years old, right? 29. 29, that's what I meant. Okay, so you got sober 19. I did. And so that's important to talk about too, and we'll kind of get to that in a second. Um, But in addition to that, Jamie is also our IASIS certified provider at our Detox at Matthews Help, and so you get to talk a lot about that and your experience with that. So let's back up and let's talk about... How did you even get on drugs, right? That's a great story to dissect because people end up with substance use disorder for multiple reasons. How did that begin for you and what? how old were you?
0: Yeah, sure. So the first time that I drank and got drunk, I was 12 years old. Okay. I grew up in a house where there was no alcohol. Mm-hmm. So I was told as a kid, kids aren't allowed to drink soda. So I thought some adults drink beer and some adults didn't. Okay. I didn't know there was any effect to it. Right. And the first time that I drank, when we ran out, the idea of getting more was brought up, Mm -hmm. and getting more was very exciting. (laughs) I need more of that. Yeah, whatever it was. (laughs) Um, And about six months later was the first time that I smoked pot. Mm -hmm. But I was never going to do drugs, because drug addicts are (laughs) dirtbags, and I am not a (laughs) dirtbag. Not a dirtbag. We're upstanding citizens. So (laughs) when that line came in the sand, I
1: easily crossed it. How old were you when you got into harder drugs? I would say about 14 or 15. 14 or 15. And what were the harder drugs? What what did you dabble in, just for our listeners?
0: So I would say it was a whole, any pill that I could get my hands on, ecstasy, opiates. Later on, it was like cocaine
1: and heroin and Xanax. Yeah. And I just wanted to make that point, not because the substance technically matters, but... You and I are recovered heroin addicts. And that's the one with fentanyl and everything nowadays. Like we got sober before that was a huge thing, I guess. But that's something I remember when I was not sober and I just thought heroin addicts die doing that, that I didn't know people get well. Like I just, it didn't occur to me (laughs) that you can be a heroin addict for a few years and then have a completely different, stable, purposeful life. I did not, it didn't compute. Before recovery for me, I just expected to die doing what I was doing. Did you expect that, or did you think this was just a phase? Like, what in your younger teenage mind, what did you think about the nature of your addiction?
0: So, realistically, my idea in ninth and 10th grade, I was going to party
1: hard and in 11th grade, clean up my act. Okay. Because okay. so it was a phase. I'm just going to have yeah. fun for a little bit, then I'm going to get my stuff together later, 11th mm-hmm. grade. So 11th grade came. What happened? I started overdosing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many hospital stays or overdoses do you think you experienced?
0: Overdoses, 5. Okay. I've gone inpatient about 11 times. Okay, from what age to what age? How many years?
1: Um, in 4 years. In 4 years, 11 treatments. Yeah. Yeah. And I always like to bring up that because you and I work in treatment and I went to treatment five times and you went to treatment how many did you say 11? I think so. Yeah, I think so. And that's just baffling, you know, because we expect to go to this place and learn some stuff and dry I, here's what I thought the first few times I went to treatment was as soon as I can get it out of my system and I can get past the sickness and I can get some new coping skills, I won't return to it. Mm-hmm. That was my delusion. And I think that's a lot of people's delusion. Absolutely. <laughs> was it yours? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I just need to get this out of my system, and then I'm going to you know, ha- get my stuff together, my ducks in a row, and the life's going to be different. But what I started to experience is I had every intention of staying sober, and then I would fail to stay sober, and it was baffling to me. And, and I can only imagine, like, I was 29, 30 years old when I got on heroin. I was not young, um, but I dabbled in drugs in high school. But I just remember for the last... And I got sober at 34. So I'm only talking about a four-year span. Yours is somewhat similar. Let me do the math. You said 14-ish, and you got sober at 19. So your span, time span, is similar. And they say the lifespan of a heroin addict is seven years. Wow. Um, And fentanyl, I think it's like two or three, you know. But alcoholics can stay in their sickness for a long time for some. It it can be decades of drinking. But for a heroin addict... It brings you to your knees much quicker, I think, than some other substances that people dabble in. And so when did you start wanting to get sober and stay sober? Did you want to be sober? When I was 15, I wanted to stay sober, and I couldn't. Couldn't. Was there other drug addicts or alcoholics in your family? Yes. (laughs)
0: Like all of them? or Yeah, all of them. um, My parents, my older sister, my younger sister. Back then at that age, did you ever get
1: exposed to any 12-step fellowship? I did. And what did you think of it? I was not interested in (laughs) any of it. You were like, I'm not about this life. Yeah, no. (laughs) Me either at first. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Jamie. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier. guest Jamie Loth, with 10 years sober and also an ISS provider at Matthews Hope, sharing her story of recovery. So before the break, we were starting to talk about, you, you were like 15 and you were really wanting to be sober. Yeah. And you went started to go to treatment, you started to overdose. Like, What are some pivotal moments around that chunk of time that really stick out to you in your memory? Sure, so I think when my I experienced my first overdose,
0: I got a slap on the wrist. Yeah, and they sent me home. I was grounded, (laughs) and two weeks later, it was as if nothing happened. Okay. And that summer, I overdosed again. Okay. There's actually a funny story behind that one. Okay. Um, But they sent me to a to a it was a psych hospital because there were no facilities for minors where I grew up. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the day I got out of that facility. I got high. Yeah. And then a few months later, I overdosed again. And that's when I went to my first rehab.
1: Yeah. Do you think that, here's, I've overdosed a few times too. Mm -hmm. And when you overdose, my my experience is, you don't really remember it because you weren't conscious, right? And so for me, there was no fear or feelings attached to that experience because I didn't remember it. Yeah, no. It was scary for other people that were there or whatever. Um, but when you come out of that, like, you don't even remember if you did your drugs or if you didn't do your drugs or what happened. Like, it just, that time period doesn't exist. So I had no fear attached to what had happened. So I remember
0: when I woke up, my mom was at the foot of the bed crying.
1: hmm And
0: I didn't know why I was in the hospital. You
1: were like, what happened?
0: The nurses were really nasty to me. Mm-hmm. Like what did I do? <laughs> um, and I didn't. I couldn't quite qu- wrap my head around the severity of what was going on. Right. Um, my BAC was like four five two, mm. and they couldn't put my stomach because I had already vomited. Right. Wow. So,
1: Were your parents sober during that chunk
0: of time? No.
1: No. And did your parents have? And you have several siblings too. Mm-hmm. And so, I imagine that they kind of treated you like, hey, you got a problem, but we're fine? Or was everybody aware that the whole family's kind of got some problems? So when my older sister, before she got sober,
0: she was the problem child. Okay. So focus was on her. And then she gets sober, and then I'm, I'm you're the, problem the star
1: <laughs> of the dysfunctional. Yeah. 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 And so when you, you said that there wasn't alcohol in your home growing up, but your parents weren't sober, explain that. Like, What sort of influence or lack of influence do you think they played in your knowledge of like drug addiction? So I never knew there was any
0: effects from alcohol mm-hmm. or drugs. It was not spoken about. The few times that we went to church, we were not allowed to get the wine and okay. my parents wouldn't get the wine. Okay. Uh, during the holidays, even at extended family members, I don't remember there being beer served or wine with dinner. So
1: so it wasn't it it wasn't known. It's kind of like with my my childhood. My mom has paranoid schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't discussed. It was just like a silent thing that you figure out as you get older. Yeah. Yeah. That was how. that's how it was at my house. We didn't have any alcohol or drugs uh, at my house either. But so it was like something I was just really curious about. Like, what is this? What are people doing at parties? And it's just the curiosity started it. But so what, what else can you remember about that chunk of time that you're like, these moments were pivotal to me getting sober later? So
0: I know for sure I would black out and I wouldn't remember what would happen. Mm-hmm. So one day I uh, I woke up and I was in a dark room and it had a steel door with one of those small rectangular windows on it, like similar to like a school door. Yeah. Um, and I was strapped down to a bed.
1: Mm-hmm. That's not a fun way to wake up.
0: No. So in my mind, I'm in some weird guy's basement <laughs> and I'm going to die. <laughs> wow. So I get out of my, my uh, handcuffs and... I go to the door and it's open and I see I realize that I'm in the emergency room Mm. and on one side of the hallway there's three security guards on the other side of the hallway is two security guards and directly in front of me is like a 4 foot high nurse's desk. Yeah. So I figured I I need to I'm still I understand I'm in the emergency room but I still think I'm going to die so I have to escape. Yeah. And I go and I run and I hop over the nurse's desk. I didn't get very far. They tackle you? They tackled me. <laughs> they brought me back in the room. They strapped me down again. Yeah. And I woke up like 3 days later. Wow.
1: I notice something common in a lot of drug addict and alcoholic stories, backgrounds. A lot of us end up in psych wards, even though we don't have a psychosis diagnosis, right? A lot of times our journey or our career with drugs and alcohol land us in psych wards uh, for a period of time because it seems sometimes like the medical community don't know what to do with us and we're presenting as a danger to ourselves or others sometimes and so some of that same protocol applies, but it's so common in the rooms of the 12-step world, um, more than half have spent time in a psych ward even though they don't have any mental health concerns now, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so I just wanted to share that with like hope, hope for our listeners that whether it's drugs or alcohol or heroin or any of it, Or experiences in psych wards. Like a completely different life is completely possible if someone's willing to do a few simple things. Um, And I didn't believe that when that was explained to me. But so how did your parents start to respond to you? I think it was your dad that would take you to 12 step stuff because he was in 12 step stuff. Yes. And you were like, I'm not about it. Yeah, kind of. Or you do so, pretend to be about it to appease him? My punishment yeah. was
0: to attend 12-step stuff with my older sister. Because she was sober then? Yes. Okay. Okay. And I would not admit it then, but I actually had a lot of fun when we would go bowling after. The fellowship stuff. Yeah. And like hang out at people's houses. Yeah. Uh, they definitely had an intervention on me every couple of months which I didn't appreciate so much <laughs> right um but I I remember having I don't remember exactly what was said when they talked about the 12 steps mm-hmm. but I
1: remember that I had fun yeah so you didn't work the program back then but it left a good taste in your mouth for, for something these people were happy they were doing something and, it, and you enjoyed their time Exactly. I think the fellowship is a very important aspect of the 12-step world. I was so insecure and so full of anxiety and so antisocial and isolating and reclusive that the idea of fellowshipping sounded like torture when I was newly sober. And now it's one of like the funnest, biggest joys of my life. As you know, Donnie and I have lots of 12-step parties at our house and mm-hmm. pool parties and Christmas parties. And um, I love hanging because they do become family. And so I think that that's really important that you got to make those connections. You don't just go to a meeting and then leave as soon as it's over. You have to make connections and make friends and it becomes a chosen family, you know. So fast forward because you do get sober at like 17, but you don't stay sober. Correct. What happened then? What was What was
0: going on? So something terrible happened on 4th of July. It's long story short, I was afraid to leave my house. Okay. And the only place I knew I'd be safe was in a 12-step meeting. Yeah. And so that's where I went. Okay. And they kind the women there kind of scooped me up mm-hmm. and held me close and took me under their wing.
1: Did you get a sponsor at that time and start any step work or was it just the fellowship side?
0: I did. A woman came up to me. She handed me a book and yeah, she told me to book. start reading some big it. big blue book. Who knows? And she said, we're meeting on Wednesday evenings at your house and you're going to listen to me.
1: Uh-huh. I was too afraid to tell her no. Yeah. So that's what we did. So how far did you get in the step work at that point? I got up to my ninth step. Do you think, looking back now, with maturity now, um, do you think that that experience um, had some depth and weight for your 17-year-old mind? Absolutely. Uh, Because I think people always say, oh, they're too young. They're too young to get sober. They're too young to work the steps. I I used to work with drug addict teenagers at an after-school program. And I wanted to make the point that no one's too young to begin their spiritual journey. So we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosher, and our guest in the studio, Jamie Loth, and we're talking about... Well, her journey into recovery, but now she's got a decade of sobriety, and which is pretty cool at 29 years old. I wish I had gotten smarter and sober that young, but I did not. Um, so we were talking about you were 17-ish, and, and the 12-step world ladies kind of scooped you up, and they were, they were like, here's what we're doing, and you were just a little too intimidated to fight back, so you kind of complied, and you had some sobriety for a period of time. What do you think is the one reason you didn't stay sober then? I stopped taking action. Okay. I like to I like to set that because that's the truth is people stopped doing what was working. Yeah. For whatever reason, busy, school, stress, I think I'm fine, I think I don't need it anymore, whatever. People can attach a hundred different reasons, but they stopped doing what was working. And for a potential chronic alcoholic or drug addict, that always leads to a relapse eventually. So you go back out. So. You don't get sober for two more years. So what happened? How how did you get sober this time? So I got sober this time kind of on accident. <laughs> Me too.
0: <laughs> I uh, I ended up getting arrested and I was on probation.
1: Lovely. Yeah.
0: I overdosed the final time
1: and... After probation? You were on probation when you overdosed? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, A lot of people in our detox will say, oh, you don't understand. Relapse is not an option because I got this court case or I'm on probation. And I'm like, honey, bro, like if you're like me, you're going to do it anyway. Oh, yeah. And people don't seem to understand that if if I can stay sober due to motivation or consequences, then I do not have chronic alcoholism. I have a choice to stay sober. So just go choose and be sober. But people like me and you, we've lost the power of choice, and we get loaded despite motivation and consequences. Yeah. Did you know anything about that language back then because of your 12-step exposure? Absolutely. I guess I didn't. I had so, no clue what was wrong with me.
0: So I had a night between detox and rehab, and so I packed my bags really heavy because I didn't know if I was going to go on the run yeah. <laughs> or if I was actually going to make it to rehab the next day.
1: Right. Okay, so you run. This is the probation time? Yes. Okay. And so you're on probation, you overdose, and you pack bags because you don't know what you're doing. Correct. Okay. But what do you decide to do?
0: So I end up, I go to the rehab. Okay. What I didn't know at the time, and I learned on my first day, if you voluntarily sign yourself into a rehab. For like with probation background? And you're on probation, you're then mandated to complete complete it. it. Oh, no. And what I also did not know is that I picked a rehab that I was going to be there for
1: an entire year. That's a long time to be in rehab. Yes. And you were 18 when you went in? I was 19 19? when I went in and 20 when I got out. Wow. So you went to rehab for a year at 19. Donnie also went to rehab for a year at 15 for weed. Uh, I guess the... The laws were different back in the 80s <laughs> when he was a teen um but that's crazy to me because very few places exist today that are a year long um and i'm just curious was yours like state funded and free was it religious or was it did it was it covered by insurance
0: it was state funded okay yeah and what was your experience there i think me being there that it saved my life yeah I think there's a lot of ways that place could improve. Right, right. Um, but I learned a lot while I was there. Were they 12-step based at all? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. Um, there was two 12-step meetings a week. That came in? Yes. Mm-hmm. And once you leveled up and became like phase three, you could go, you to-, could go to outside meetings. Oh.
1: And so did you choose to do that? Yes. And so you completed the whole year? Mm-hmm. Wow. It reminds me in our literature uh, when a certain American businessman by the name of Roland Hazard goes to treatment under Carl Jung's care for a year. Um, Only when he gets out, he gets drunk on the train on the way home and absolutely was baffled because he thought he would stay sober. And so you get out and you stay sober. Mm -hmm. Why? What was different? I was living an honest life. Did you work the 12 steps while you were in rehab, or did you have to begin once you got out or phased up? I So I had the experience of working the 12 steps
0: in the past. Yeah. So I was able to continue working the steps with my sponsor
1: over the phone. Same sponsor? No, different, different sponsor. Different sponsor, but she picked you up where you had experience to or, like, recapped the past ones with you? Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that that – because sometimes people – will always say, hey, I, I've done the 12 steps before, I had a sponsor 10 years, or whatever they say, you know, and it's like, yeah, bro, but the point of the 12 steps is to have a spiritual experience as a result of that process, and a lot of times, if you drink or did drugs again, you got to kind of re-begin the process, it erases uh, the spiritual momentum you had, it doesn't erase the lessons, or, or you know, stuff that comes out of it, but, and so people are somewhat disheartened after a relapse because they don't want to have to re-begin the steps. But what they don't understand is if you've already worked the steps before and it's not brand new to you, it goes by very quickly. It sure does. You recap the stuff and you move on, you know. And uh, I come from a lineage that when someone's new, you only take about six or eight weeks to work the steps. Uh, depending on that person's experience... You can actually do it in a few days or a week, depending on their background. This does not take a year. It does not take months and months, you know. And it sounds like you fell into a really good pocket of 12-step. You're in New York, right? Mm -hmm. This is all in New York. And I fell into a really good pocket in Texas getting sober. Um, And I just think that that's important to speak on. So you have this sponsor, and she's working with you over the phone while you're in treatment. Yeah. And so did you finish the 12-steps in treatment? Yes. Did you begin to sponsor other people while you were in treatment? So I was 19. Yeah. Who's
0: going to ask you? There was <laughs> yeah. one woman who asked me and she was maybe 25. Okay. I was concerned. <laughs> right. Uh, so I got involved in service other ways. Okay. Like what? Um, I joined a service committee where we
1: would put on fun events. That's so important to do, especially when you get sober young too. Mm-hmm. You've got to be involved in some way, whether it's making a coffee at the meeting or planning a a convention with a group of young people like it's so important. So you fell into a good pocket of people doing service work right away. Yes. And then uh, and then you get out of treatment. Did you go to sober living?
0: No, I moved in with my grandma.
1: Is grandma sober? Was grandma sober?
0: So grandma didn't drink, but um, (laughs) she was a hoot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) when she passed away I found out she actually got a DWI when she was in her
1: 20s oh wow okay yeah so and was that dad's mom or mom's mom dad's mom because I know because I know you pretty well and know you personally and so I know that your dad struggled with addiction often on his entire life yeah and uh and you have some sisters in recovery and stuff like that But I want to kind of just ask you questions about your recovery. Um, These last 10 years, you've had a lot of experiences, and you've got through them sober. And there's a point why I'm bringing some of these things up. But one thing in particular is, I guess it was just last year, you lost your father. He passed away. Yeah. And, uh, And so... We got to navigate that together, um, shoulder to shoulder, and and use the spiritual tools at our feet to go through this. But the reason I bring that up, and you can touch on this, your experience with it, is because a lot of times people show up in our detox. At Matthew's Hope after they relapsed after, you know, five years sober or 10 years sober or 17 years sober. And if you ask them what happened, they'll usually say some traumatic event was the catalyst to this relapse. Like, oh, my spouse died or, oh, my my child left me or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but you got to consider the fact that other people navigate those things all the time and don't end up in a detox. What's different about people like me and you because here's an example, we had someone come through our detox who works in the medical field. This person, you know, obviously addiction is no, you know, judge of persons that hits anybody, right? doesn't matter if they're successful or not in life. Um, and this person believed that, that they were an opiate addict because of the amount of death they had seen from COVID and their job was too stressful in the medical community. Hmm. And I said, but do you understand there's lots of other people that saw a lot of death from COVID in the medical community and don't have a heroin addiction over it? And come to find out when I dug deeper, they actually had a heroin addiction for 10 years before COVID. So it wasn't because of that at all. And so you got to navigate and being there for your dad um, as, as he exited this world with sobriety, with grace, with dignity. You got to be there to go through all that. And you were kind of the pillar of your family. So what was that like? having the ability to navigate that sober. And then I also want you to touch on the the funny story of your dad's last wishes, his requests. Oh, boy. <laughs>
0: um, so in May of last year, we find out my dad, he's going to die. It was from cancer, right? Uh, yeah, we'll call it cancer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I go up in May. He's supposed to die within 30 days. We get him onto a... Uh, a trial treatment. Uh And so I'm taking him in and out of Manhattan, two Mm -hmm. and a half hours there and back Mm -hmm. once or twice a week for months. Yeah. Um, And then he relapses. I was deemed the person in the family most responsible to handle all of his medical and financial decisions. Isn't that crazy? But imagine having somebody actively smoking crack and you have all of their money. Yeah. So So your dad
1: wanted money
0: all the time for crack (laughs) Um, so then when it got closer to the time he was going to die he came to a place of acceptance but he had some like strange requests
1: strange requests we're gonna get to those right after we come back from this quick and final break don't go anywhere welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio, and that's my favorite intro song. Thank you, Will. I really like Marilyn Manson. But anyways, my guest Jamie is here talking about her experience in recovery, and we were talking about you being um, the most responsible person in your family to navigate your dad's medical wishes, uh, medical needs, and his finances, but dad didn't stay sober at the end. And so you had to... I remember... When you were going through that with your father, it was the same chunk of time that my dad had a triple open heart bypass, and I flew to Oklahoma to be there for them. We were kind of talking about that and comparing notes on how we're navigating this craziness. Like, who would have thought two junky heroin addicts would become, you know, stable, dependable, compassionate members of their family? blew my mind that I became that, you know, and uh, and so what was that like navigating that with your dad? What are some of the things that you thought and felt and how did you how did you get through that and stay sober? It was really difficult to practice patience. Yeah, it's hard. Patience is hard with family in general.
0: There were quite a few times where I had to walk outside yeah. because I think. One of my goals in sobriety and in recovery is that I want to act better than I feel. Yeah. And with family, that's a tall order. It's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I think understanding myself and allowing myself time to
1: walk away from difficult situations is something that's important it's kind of like the line in the book where it says when things are getting heated you're supposed to say hey things are getting heated let's talk about this later like usually people will really respond that way but sometimes you have to pause when agitated when when your feelings are uh negative or cropping up or the patience is thin you got to step out you got to regroup you gotta ask god to help you navigate this So I think it's good that you took time to get away and make phone calls and and reset yourself spiritually. Because your dad wasn't sober, and he had some crazy requests at the end. He sure did.
0: (laughs) So as long as I can remember, he's always told me about this coffee can full of mushrooms. That once he knew, like, today was the day he was going back to be with the Lord, (laughs) as he would say, he was going to eat those mushrooms. Okay. Towards the end, he couldn't really chew or eat it or mm. smoke pot anymore, so he gave each of the sisters a task.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I had to get the weed butter. <laughs> My other sister needed to find acid, Okay, and the third sister was supposed
1: to bake the goodies. Okay, some edibles up in the hospital? Yeah, so the, <laughs> this is- So he was going to have the what, mushrooms- the edibles, uh, the acid, and the weed butter. And and you're sober, and another sister's sober, but y'all are in charge of getting drugs for your dad.
0: Yeah, and it was like <laughs> a normal day.
1: <laughs> That's the insanity of this illness, you know? Yeah. That's the insanity of this illness. But, so, what was that like, navigating that and being able to be there for your dad?
0: Did you get the weed butter for him? He, he ended up... Coming home from the hospital, going back to the hospital, coming home from the hospital, and uh, dying like two days later. Okay. So we he he never was able to eat his mushrooms oh, okay. or anything like that. We, we were planning on burying them at his gravesite. Oh,
1: okay, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> but having my sisters there and also friends and family who understood him and having like a support network. Yeah who really understand that insanity and the dynamics of our relationship. Because normal people
1: would be like super judgy and be like, this is insane. you know. But we come from that world of the understanding the illness, the nature of the illness of chronic addiction. And so it makes sense to us. Of course, he would request those things. Yeah. you know. Of course, he would. I think that's awesome. You're going to bury him with his mushrooms. It's kind of an amends opportunity. And you've been able to navigate that with your family for the last 10 years. And that's nothing short of a blessing. You know, so congrats to that, because that's a big deal. Thank you. Um, one other thing I want to touch on before we run out of time is IASIS, because <laughs> you are the ISS provider at the Matthew Hope Detox. I am. And uh, I want you to talk about it. Like, here's the thing. we I work at the Detox too. I run the recovery support team that's the two years of aftercare, and I teach big book in the hospital. I have a cool team of other people. Almost Every single person that works at Matthew's Hope is in recovery, period. We're all in recovery, years, years ourselves. And uh, I thought you would be amazing at this job because of your intuition with others and being able to read personalities. And watching you walk through that with your dad, I thought you would be perfect to navigate that with our clients and and do ISIS on them. And so it was, I think, natural and God-given talent for you to step into that role. Um, Matthew's Hope is a very amazing organization, and we're different in three main ways. Our detox is two weeks long. We also offer IASIS inpatient while you're in our detox and part of the aftercare two years after you leave, and then we have the two years of free recovery coaching and 12-step spiritual-based aftercare that is free, and so no other place has that, but I want you to speak on IASIS. What did you think when you first trained, and, and what is IASIS? What does it do? Does it hurt? Like, talk to us about IASIS. Act like I have no clue and just educate me. So, ISS is
0: not an acronym. It's a Greek word that means healing. It's a form of microcurrent neurofeedback. Okay. And it's the first line of neurofeedback that's passive, meaning the person receiving the treatment doesn't feel anything and they don't necessarily have to do anything. Okay. Other forms of neurofeedback, you might have to stare at a screen, monitor your blood pressure. Okay. It's kind of like my client's opportunity to sit back and relax. Mm hmm. And it calms their nervous system.
1: I've had it several times and I get sleepy afterwards. I'm a sleepy girl anyway, but it really helps me sleep deeply. And so what things have you noticed for the clients in our detox that get ISS? What sort of things does it help with?
0: Right. So when somebody is in a detox, they've been they haven't been feeling any emotions for no. quite some time. So when they all come to the surface, it's very intense and
1: super uncomfortable, I would imagine.
0: So when they get an iasis treatment it helps them to process those emotions a little bit smoother Mm -hmm. i believe that it also helps to open their ears to be able to hear things Mm -hmm. that they may have been closed off i've noticed
1: that i've been with matthew's hope for two years and i say to the clients that to get Iasis if they're medically able to get it to be cleared for because i think it makes the person more receptive to the tools we're laying at their feet whatever that means, I don't know how else to say it, because everybody gets tools laid at their feet, but it seems like the people are more receptive to pick up the tools and to hear the tools and to apply the tools if they've been their brain has been cleared with the isis treatments.
0: And I think one of the biggest reasons why that is, they'll come into my office and they'll be craving a cigarette, an eight out of 10, a 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And a few moments later, it's a two out of 10 or mm-hmm. not, none at all.
1: Right. So you you just mentioned cigarette cravings, right? Like nicotine cravings. What other reasons might someone get ISS? Because we have an outpatient clinic too, not in our detox, and lots of people go to our outpatient clinic for ISS treatments that don't have any substance use disorder. So, what have you learned about other things that it may help with?
0: So I've heard that there has been a huge influx of children coming to get ISS, who after COVID and being homeschooled for so long, had a ton of anxiety coming back into crowds. Okay, yeah. In the trainings I've attended, there's a ton of mothers who have children who are on the spectrum. Okay. Um, People who have had uh, mild traumatic brain injuries, Mm -hmm. whether that's from sports, car accidents, whatever the case may be. Any type of
1: TBI, it's shown to show improvements there. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, PTSD too, right? Absolutely. And Donnie got it. My husband got it for his tinnitus, ringing in the ears. He had had some sort of diving and then flying too soon finasco years ago. And so he has constant ringing in the ears. And so he Mm -hmm. did a whole session of Isis. So they get it in our detox. And I think that it does. I agree with you. It helps them feel better faster than they would without it and be more receptive to what we're laying at our feet. But why should they continue it after they leave? And what have you noticed about people who do that?
0: So IASIS has sustaining and durability. Mm-hmm. Typically, it takes about 10 to 20 treatments to start to see the optimal benefits, depending upon how sensitive or resistant you are. Mm-hmm. And between the 20 to 40th treatment is when you'll really start to see
1: your new like baseline. Okay, good to know. 20 to 40. Yes, That's where you really get to know. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest. If anyone would like any information about our detox or the IASIS, give us a call at 844-263-4673. And don't forget, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Hashtag God though.